One of, the, one of the things that we're going to be doing over the course of this season in the life of our church, and we, we sometimes follow the church calendar a little here, uh, and this season I, I want us to think about heading into, as, as Jesus heads into Jerusalem, he's heading towards the crucifixion where his body is going to be mutilated, and, and then he, he's trained, in our passage today, he's training his disciples how to think about their lives when that will happen to them. Uh, tw- sometimes 10, 20 years after Jesus' ascension. And one of the ways that we endure suffering in this life um, without becoming bitter is to know and be rooted and grounded in the fact that God acknowledges you and that you are secure in his knowledge of you and that his love cannot be thwarted in your life. You can't do anything or refrain from doing anything to make that go away in your life. Now, when you, when you go through hard stuff in this world, you're going to be tempted to think that God is neglectful, that he does not see what you're going through, and that he's, uh, he's just kind of disappointed in you. That's what our temptation is to think. And that lie is as old as the Garden of Eden. Now, in our passage right here, uh, the, the disciples of Jesus have this thing called the kingdom of God, and they're announcing that kingdom to regions that it, it had never been into before, and Jesus is preparing them, like, when that happens, that's going to be difficult. You're going to endure some hard things, and here's what you need to know to endure that hard thing uh, of proclaiming the gospel. And so this is from Matthew 10. And we're, we're just going to read this small little section, verses 24 through 33. And this is God's word to you today. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, and that's a name for a demon... How much more will they malign those of his household? And so this is Jesus' encouragement to them. So, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather... Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father is in heaven. So we, we're going to spend some time in silence. And in that moment of silence, we're simply asking God to reveal something to us. And what we're going to ask together, you pray silently. Um, I'll pray with the mic. We're asking God to reveal himself as a kind father to us right now, okay? Say in your heart, God, please show me that you are a kind father to me personally. Show that to me right now.
Okay? Let's pray. Lord, uh, it is such a great privilege to get to be with your people. I, I um, am often reminded of these stories in the Old Testament where when you look over your people, uh, you see so much beauty and so much goodness. And uh, your steadfast love is always uh, the lens by which you view us. And that your instinct towards us, your inclination towards us is always uh, tender and, and careful and kind. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, your character would get through uh, to us this morning. And that we would uh, sense the warmth of your love uh, being poured out onto us through this text and to the Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would do that right now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so, we've, I've been drilling down in the Gospel of Matthew with you guys, uh, reminding us each week that the, the Gospel is about this thing called the Kingdom of God, that God has in some ways brought heaven into earth in a new way in the person of Jesus. And the point of this section is that when that happens in the world or in a person's life, how people, how people change, uh, and this is how Christianity changed the whole course of the world, when people believe that no matter what their circumstances are giving them, that God is kind and gracious, and he has tender care over their life, that's what can sustain your faith over the long haul. That's what can keep you faithful to Jesus. That's what can keep people who deny Jesus, like Peter, uh, back on course after he rises from the dead. And that is a pattern in our life constantly that we're going back and forth with what we think about God depending on our circumstances. And Jesus is trying to snap the disciples out of measuring their life based upon what life is giving them. Now, the way he does that in our passage is that he drills down and he says, D you know, God is actually more in tune with you than you are with yourself. God actually knows your body more than you know your own body. He knows how many hairs are on your head or how, how many hairs were on your head for some of us. Um, and if you actually believe that, Jesus is saying, it, if you drill that down into the very center of your heart, you really can face anything in this world. And you will follow Jesus anywhere because it's that good. That's how Jesus' kingdom spreads. That's how the gospel spreads through people who find joy in every single circumstance because of God's unending kindness. His kindness will never end. But sometimes it takes a while for us to understand that. Sometimes that's very confusing. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and they're so terribly difficult that it's just hard to believe that. And that's why the Christian life is a process. It's a process. Sanctification is a process by, by which we come into the deeper awareness of how good God is. Um, I've been here long enough to know 
uh, in Nebraska that uh, February is the cruelest of all months. Y'all know this. Um, so, so that days like today, it's like a golden ticket, you know? It's like February is usually, I, I have screenshots that are sent to me all the time by friends who don't live in Nebraska, and they're like, dude, it's four degrees in Nebraska. I'm like, I know, man, I, I live here. Like, <laughs> uh, it's cold. And, and so when days like this come, I remember the first winter I lived here, it was so uh, bright one day, and it had been dark for like m- what felt like a month, and I just sat in the sun for like three hours, just like soaking up the vitamin D. And I used to think that uh, you guys are weird, because on days like today, you'd wear like short sleeves and shorts, you know? And I'm like, and uh, now, now I get it, because your body acclimates to the harsh conditions, so that a 40-degree day feels like the summer. Now, part of what this passage is doing is that Jesus is training his disciples how to endure a hard season. That there are seasons of your life that feel like winter, that feel very, very challenging, and you can get through it if you have him. That's what he's telling his disciples. And so this passage is about training how to endure suffering. But gospel training is very, very, very different than like sports training or training for your job. And the reason why is that there is no goal in gospel training of what you're going to accomplish. The goal in gospel training is for God to reveal to you what he has accomplished in you. Which is that the only thing you need to endure anything is God's presence. Period. That if you know that he knows you, if you know that he's with you, and that he tenderly cares for you at all times and in all places, you can handle anything. You really can. And that's a work of God in your life. And so he wants you to learn what he's like in the trial. That's where he molds us. That's where, you know, he's a, he's a creator and we're his creature. He molds us into what he wants us to be in the trial, in the winter. Now, think this, think this through for me for a second as he's doing this with the disciples. Or you can just imagine, like, let's say you have a child and you could see the future of your child. And you knew that your child was going to go through something terribly, terribly difficult. And you're trying to train them. You're trying to get them ready for what's to come. Think about the things that you would tell them. That's what Jesus is doing with disciples. He sees their future, and he's like, look, this is, this is what you need to know about what's coming. Look at the wisdom in verse 28. He says, there, there's going to come a time where your body is, is going gonna, it's, it's to not be safe around people. People are going to want to destroy your body, but don't fear he who can just destroy the body. Fear he who can destroy the soul as well, verse 28. So when people speak terrible things about you, when they malign you, verse 24 and 25, and they call you like a little devil, um, know this, that God sees. God sees it. He sees the intricate details of sparrows. He knows about birds. Why would Jesus say that in this section? Verse 29 and 30. What, you think, think about that. What is com- like when you're suffering, what is comforting about, about God knowing very intricate details of the creation and also your life? You know, one, one commentator um, said 
God knows the most insignificant details about each of his children. Think about something hard that you've gone through. What is the question that you're asking? When you suffer, especially if it's in an undeserved way or in ways that you can't make sense of, what are you asking? Does God care? Does he see? And what Jesus is saying, God is so kind and tender that he knows details about birds, and you are very, very, very much more important than birds. He knows details about your life that you don't even know. He knows your body better than you know your body. He knows your pain. He can articulate your pain better than you can articulate your pain. He cares. What can that mean other than that he is obsessed with you? Do you think about that? When you think about God, do you think that he's obsessed with you? Because he is. He likes what he creates. This is the great test for us. You know, uh, fear, the misguided fear is always rooted in this instinct within all of us to look at our circumstances and to conclude, well, if God, if God is good, if he actually does care for me, then surely I wouldn't be going through this pain. Like, that doesn't make sense. And Jesus is reteaching them the gospel of the kingdom, which says, God is molding you, little sister, little brother. And this was the test question in the Garden of Eden. This is really what the Bible is about. This is what your life is about. This is the the question that you're always answering, whether you know it or not. And this is the question that God is always asking you. What do you think God is like? What do you think he's like? In every way that you respond to everything, you're always answering that question. Always. And that's what people need to know when they suffer. What is God like? Is he kind? Is he full of grace? Or is he neglectful and disappointed in you? And always like wishing you'd get it together. One answer leads to freedom, and the other answer leads to fear. And this is what it means to to become a Christian. This is what it means to participate in the kingdom by believing simultaneously in God's kindness and power through Jesus Christ. There's a tendency within all of us to think, you know, if, if, I, if I just do the right thing, if I put in the work, if I, um, if I follow the right path, then good things are going to come to me. But Jesus, he does not measure success like that. And you guys know it, especially if you suffered. Which means that you cannot measure your life's success uh, on whether or not God's pleased with you or not if things are going well, nor can it be the opposite. When things are going bad... That does not mean that God's displeased with you. What Jesus is preparing the disciples is that there's going to come a time, O disciple, where people are going to hate you. People are going to do bad things to you. And that doesn't mean that God is unaware. It doesn't. And he says, they did the same to me. And God always loved me. I was his son. N.T. Wright, um, uh, 
he was speaking to a crowd, a large crowd once, and he said, what's strange about public speaking to large crowds is that when the Apostle Paul would go around to certain cities and announce that the kingdom of God was present and that Jesus was Lord, they threw stones at him and they put him in prison and they tried to kill him. And he's like, what's weird is that when I say those same things, they serve tea in these cities. And the whole crowd erupted in laughter. And this is what stuck with me. And he said, actually, I'm quite serious about that. I don't know what to do with that. And that always struck me because N.T. Wright has a different metric of what to pay attention to. A different uh, type of fear, we'll call it. And so I want you, again, to imagine this was first written to the disciples of Jesus to encourage them to endure in the faith. And I want you to imagine that you are one of those disciples. And let's say it's 10, 15 years after Jesus' ascension. And we have testimony of this. People who actually saw Jesus, who walked with him, eventually actually left the faith. Some of them did. Some of them got killed. Most of the disciples would eventually go on to get, to get martyred. And imagine you're, you're one of them, and you're in a, a prison cell because you're saying that Jesus is Lord, and there's only one Lord, and his name is Caesar, and so you get locked up. And you're wondering there in isolation, maybe you've been separated from your family, you wonder, like we all would, have I lost my mind? Was I wrong about all this? And you remember Jesus' words here in this passage spoken to you, and he says, everyone who acknowledges me before others... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And we'll come back to that phrase, but um, the acknowledgement of God. But you remember, uh, don't deny Jesus when it gets hard. And the question is, like, how do we do that? And the way that you do that is, is what Jesus is talking about in verses 26 through 31. You have to know what to fear in this world. This is the most common command in the Bible, by the way. Do not fear. And remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples who were bringing the gospel into regions that would, it would be responded to in negative ways, but sometimes violent ways. And this is what Jesus says. He says, have no fear of them for nothing. This is, especially if you've been abused in this room in any way and no one saw it. Listen to this verse. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Think about that for a moment. Just on a basic level, that is life-altering, especially if you have been harmed in this life especially if you've been unjustly mistreated. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered on the housetops proclaim. That's what an evangelist was in the first century. It was a proclaimer of the good news of the gospel. And the gospel is this strange hidden truth that God has come to rule on earth, but the way that God rules on earth is that he sacrifices himself and he lets evil run its course. And he uses evil against itself to win. 
And when you translate that into your life, this is, this is what happens. What you realize is that your life is much, much bigger than the circumstances that you currently face because you are eternal. And the simple logic that Jesus uses with his disciples is that, look, even if they mutilate your physical body, even if they kill you, they can't kill your soul. One of the, one of the main things that the church does and is in the life of people is to constantly remind you that you have a soul. Your body is important. It is. And it hurts when it's put under pain or pressure or it gets killed. But there is only one who can destroy the soul. And Jesus says, that's the one you need to fear. And what he's doing is that he's training his disciples to turn their attention to the one who has more power than governments, to the one who has more power over your, over your desire for physical safety, who has more power than like communal cohesion or you know family unity. And he says, and this is where the passage turns, the one who has the power to utterly destroy your soul is actually the most kind, benevolent father that you can ever imagine. And if that's true, there is nothing to fear in this world. Nothing. You're an eternal creature and you have a soul. And so the pain that you are going through right now is molding you into that eternal creature that you will become one day in the presence of God. And so I ask you again, uh, because this question matters for how we think about ourselves and where we are heading eternally, what do you think God is like? What do you think God is like? Everything you think, say, and do, even in this present moment, is answering that question. As to whether you believe he's gracious or not, that's what Jesus says in verse 32 and 33. We are always acknowledging or denying God's fatherhood. Always. You remember uh, Cain? So Cain and Abel were the children of Adam and Eve. And the peculiar thing about Abel was that he assumed that God liked him. He assumed that he existed under God's pleasure. He, he assumed that his life was meant for God, and so he gave God the first fruits of his livestock. And Cain, Cain didn't understand that. He thought of God differently. He thought that he couldn't, whatever Abel had, he couldn't get it for himself. He could not get God's pleasure. And so, he imagined God to be a cruel taskmaster. And you would think that like, okay, we think differently about God. We can just exist and agree to disagree. But this is how it translates itself. Like when you believe that about God, it actually forces you into the life of other people and you spread that evil into the world. And so he had to kill Abel because he didn't understand how he got God's favor. 
And then God comes down and he says, Cain, you're going to have to live with the consequences of this. And Cain's like, I'm going to die because these consequences are too hard. And then God still is going after him. And he says, no, you're not. I will mark you because I'm still kind. You don't have to believe I'm a taskmaster. Now, look, y'all, one of the greatest tasks for us in each moment is to take a very specific look at our lives and our circumstances and conclude, God is like really, really happy with me. He's so pleased with me. Right now. Like he can't get enough of you. If you, <laughs> if you actually believe that, how would that change how you live? Like if that really was drilled down that you assumed, that you assumed his love because you know Christ, wouldn't that just totally alter how you interpreted everything and how you move towards other people? If you're, if you're married, that's actually what you want from your spouse. You want them to have that kind of confidence if you love them. You don't need them to operate out of their insecurity. You want the strength of who they actually are in, in God. That's what we need from each other. To assume that he is happy with us, not because I have material blessings, not because I'm such a great person, but because of grace. Because God is gracious. He loves me independent of whatever good or bad thing I've done Whatever good or bad thing that's happened to me, it's separate. And so if that's true, how can somebody deny him? How can somebody move away from him? There is nothing else but that. That is the very center of the cosmos. That's what birthed the cosmos into being. That's why you're alive. Um, I, I've been stuck on this quote uh, this week by a guy named John Owen, and he's talking about how to discern the will of God in a hard circumstance. You know, when we're, at, we're, when we're suffering, we just want to get out, right? We want things to change. And uh, John Owen says this, like, when you're in a hard circumstance, he says, this is the will of God, that we always think of God as kind, tender, loving, and unchangeable. That's the will of God. That in every circumstance, you think properly about him. And you live in accord with that. This is what Christ came to reveal, God as Father. And I know that some of you have not had good fathers in this life. I get that. But the only reason you know what a bad father is, is because of the imprint of God on your very being. And God is everything that you can possibly imagine. He's everything that you could possibly want and more. And he is so inclined towards you. He wants you. He moves towards you in this moment. John Owen is saying, he calls you right now in this exact moment to be open to his kindness. And I know that some of you, because I've listened to your life, I've walked uh, almost six years with you now, you're saying, I, I can't. I don't know how to. I always default back to worry. I don't know what to do. I always go back to believing that he's not this good or that he doesn't care about me. Um, that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. 
God is kind, and that's the reason why Jesus came, and that's the reason why he's training these disciples to not give in to their fears and worries. That's the whole point of the Bible. Of course you struggle. Of course I struggle. That's not the point. The point is that you belong in God's presence, (laughs) and that's where you're headed, and you can't thwart it. You can't thwart it unless you say, I just, I am obsessed with God being cruel. I'm obsessed with it, and I give myself to it. That's what the devil did. And you're not of him. So, this is how it plays itself out. I don't want you to think about the past right now. You may have a very hard past. And I don't want you to think about the future right now. Because we tend to worry about tomorrow. But simply, in this exact moment, in this exact moment, can you imagine God as kind? Just right now, for right now, can you say, God, I believe that you are so kind to me. What do you think? He sees how hard and tormenting your life can be at times. Jesus says, I see it better than you can see it. The devil is the great accuser that says, there's no way he's good. Look at your life. And Jesus says, God's also looking at your life. And he is so pleased if you allow Jesus to inform your view of him. And he nods in approval of you when you have Christ. That is the payoff for life. This is what we're all looking for, whether we know it or not. The acknowledgement of God. A simple nod. I see you. I know you. The acknowledgement of God. That God acknowledges you. If we have that, we have everything. If we have that, we can face anything. And this is what it means to spread the gospel. To believe in the kindness of God at all times and in every circumstance. And that that will win. It will win you and it will win the world. That's the good news. Let's pray and we will confess our sins. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your benevolent mercy. And we ask for those in our midst that have heavy hearts, uh, that you would lighten that load, um, that you would bring comfort, um, even through uh, the ways in which we interact with each other in the midst of this service. Lord, in this moment, we can, we can believe. It's offered to us. We can believe in your kindness. And that's who you are, Lord. And so shield us from unbelief. Um, shield us from the power of the devil. And help us to have courage to believe in your goodness. In Christ's name, amen.